0: Good morning. What a wonderful privilege it is to be here with all of you this morning. Quite frankly, it's a privilege to be anywhere these days. Uh, I live in California, and so we're a little slower in, in some of our reopening procedures. It's actually been uh, since March 1st that I have been in a in a public worship gathering, and I know that the church isn't just the building, and it isn't just what we do here on Sunday morning, but it is great to be gathered with you all, both virtually and live, to share God's Word to, to sing and to worship our great and amazing God, I'm thankful for this church. You hosted our national gathering a few years ago, and that was a remarkable event. Very thankful for Richard. He's done some tremendous work on the theology of our denomination. Recently, was on a panel about how churches have begun the reopening process. And uh, and who knew he could sing? I, I didn't realize if those of you who tuned in maybe a little late, uh, you don't want to ever come late to those things because Richard helped uh, lead in the, the prelude this morning. So what a what a wonderful gift that that was as well. Well, I followed a little bit of your series on being empowered and the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. And even before I knew about that series, when I was asked to preach, I was thinking and praying about what I might talk about. And it actually fit in really well at the end of your series, that, that we are empowered to witness. A couple of weeks ago, we celebrated Pentecost Sunday and you all looked at Acts chapter 2 at the time when the Spirit came upon the people and uh, was was able to cause them to speak in many different languages and they were empowered. What I want to do is take a little step back and look at Acts chapter 1. Because in Acts chapter 1, we see why it is that the Spirit has come. One of the reasons that the Spirit was to come was to empower the disciples to be witnesses. And so let me read that passage from Acts chapter 1, it's in verses uh, verses 1 through 8. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of forty days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this commandment. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gifts that my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John was baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates that the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. So when the disciples are gathered together, Jesus has died, He is resurrected and he has appeared to them and they're asking him all kinds of questions about, are we at the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It kind of reminds me of a lot of the questions that people are asking today in the midst of COVID and racial tension and changing social dynamics. People are saying, are are these the end times? Are we facing those end times? And I would say that Jesus would say to us, like he said to the disciples, That is not of your concern. That is not of your question. But Jesus says, here is your question. Here is what is your concern. That you, not by your own power, not by your own ability, but through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses. Now, one of the things that we recognize is that in Presbyterian culture, This has not been a strong suit for us to be witnesses. Uh, When I was doing my uh, doctoral research, I was looking on revitalization of medium and large churches. And uh, one of the things that I had studied at the time was a survey called Natural Church Development, which was uh, very popular about 15 years ago. And they looked at eight different um, core aspects of what makes a healthy, vibrant church and the way that they had set it up each Particular aspect had kind of a one in eight chance of being a church's minimum factor However, when you studied and when you looked at Presbyterian churches 40% of the Presbyterian churches had evangelism as their minimum factor Three times the amount of what you would normally expect So it reminds us however that this while this isn't a strength of ours historically It is still a requirement and a call of Jesus. Jesus is not saying that being a witness is optional. Jesus doesn't say to the disciples, hey, I know you're busy. I know you've got a lot on your plate. You're taking kids to soccer practice and, you know, you've got these jobs and these other things that you're doing. If you have some time, if you can fit it into your busy schedule, will you be my witnesses? No, in this passage and throughout all of Scripture, the call is consistently this is who you are called to be and what you are called to do through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus tells the disciples, and we're reminded about it in this book of Acts, where they are to be witnesses. You will receive the power of the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, most times when churches look at this passage, what they will extrapolate from it is they will look at their own context and move in kind of concentric circles. And so they'll say, like, for example, you might say, uh, you know, we're to be witnesses in Greenville, in South Carolina, to the United States, and to the rest of the world. And I think that's a, an appropriate application of this passage. But I also think that Jesus identifies these four different areas to remind us of actually the four different kind of people to whom we are to witness to the good news of Jesus. And so let me take it from that angle as we move through the text. The first Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Now, some of you may have been to Jerusalem and it is a very religious city. If you have ever been there when you are uh, going in the elevators on the sabbath oftentimes the elevators stop at each floor automatically so that you don't have to do any work about pushing the buttons there's certain dietary laws and restrictions and the orthodox jews travel in groups of 10 all of these these things there are reasons behind them but what god had continually said to people in the old testament was that they got so caught up in the do's and don'ts of the religion that they forgot about the relationship with the Father. They forgot about the Father's deep love for them. And their religion came about uh, and, and was more about do's and don'ts. And I don't know about you, but the same can be true for me sometimes. Sometimes I can be more caught up in doing for God than being with God. I can become a human doing rather than a human being. And oftentimes our identities come from the various things that we do in the life of the church. And I need to be reminded of the gospel. That, that it's about receiving and engaging in the Father's deep love for us. Not simply what we do for him. I need to be reminded that my identity. Isn't in uh, my accomplishments. Isn't in how good of a job I'm doing. Or how well the denomination is doing. Though we try very hard at those things. But my identity is in a, as an adopted son. Of the living God. And so we need to actually witness to each other. Witnessing isn't just about those who have never heard, though we need to do that. Witnessing isn't just about those who aren't in church, though we need to do that. Witnessing is sharing and reminding with each other of the Father's great love for us and to take our identity and our action from that rather than from what we do. The second thing Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses in Judea. Now, this is going to be a gross oversimplification, but I don't think there's too many Judeans here that will be offended by this. But those in Judea were oftentimes kind of those who were nominal in faith. That if you were a a real Jew, you would live in Jerusalem. And that's where the, the hardcore Jewish people lived. And if you lived in Judea, you maybe were Jewish, but you sort of tacked that onto the side of... Everything else that you would do in your life. It was a part of who you were, but it wasn't core of who you were. And so the correlation for us might be what is sometimes called nominal Christianity. Eddie Gibbs, who's a professor at Fuller, wrote a book called In Name Only, The Challenge of Evangelizing Nominal Christians. And what he said in here is very challenging. He said what he defined as nominal Christians could be anywhere from those who simply go through the motions of Christianity, but do not have a transforming relationship with God to those who show up, you know, Christmas, Easter, or to those who might just check on a survey. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but there's really no evidence of Christ in their lives. So my brother might be a great example of this. If you met my brother, if you asked him if he was a Christian, he would say, absolutely. If there was a survey to fill out, a census to be taken, he would identify himself as a Christian. Well, great. Well, with whom do you worship? Nobody. Well, with whom do you study the scriptures? Nobody. Well, do you use your, your time and your energy to help further the advancement of, of the kingdom? No. Uh, do you give your, your time for that? Or is your line, is your life in line and seeking to be more in line with who God has called you to be? And he would say, no. And so then you'd ask, well, why is it that you call yourself a Christian? He said, well, I believe that Jesus died 2000 years ago and rose again. But what we see throughout all scripture is that believing certain facts or being born in a Christian home or my favorite example of someone said, well, I know I'm a Christian because my grandma made cookies for VBS. All of those things do not a Christian make. And so Eddie Gibbs says the problem is how do we share our faith to those who simply look at Christianity as a as a check mark on a box or on a survey? How do we share the, the good news for them? How do we help them actually move to a place where they transfer the trust of their lives over to Jesus? And the problem, Eddie Gibbs says, with even calling it nominal Christianity is that it sounds like it's an acceptable form of Christianity. You know, like Christianity light. The same benefits of Christianity without all the hard stuff. And Eddie Gibbs says, no, that's, that's just not true. That's not the life that God has called us to. And so you need to witness we need to share our faith, and especially, I think, in, in southern contexts, where simply being born into a Christian family, people will then just self-identify, well, I must be a Christian, rather than transferring the trust of my life over to Jesus. Jesus then says, you will be my witnesses in Samaria. Now, scholars will debate, is this actually a separate category than Judea? Because Samaria is actually located in the middle of Judea. And so it's it's part of it, but I think it is distinct here on purpose because the people in Samaria were very different than the people in Judea. See, in Samaria, they had actually started off Jewish, But over time, they pick and choose the scriptures in the Old Testament that they liked, discarded the ones they didn't like, and they ended up making basically their own religion rather than following the true ways of God. They manipulated the scriptures to conform to their desires. Now, fortunately, people don't do that anymore. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Of course people do that. That we have oftentimes look at faith as a buffet approach. And believe me, no one loves buffets more than me. But that's not the way we approach the faith. I'm going to take a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Oh, I don't really like this. I like from this faith over here. And I'm going to really make God after my image. Rather than conforming to the image of God through the scriptures. I think the question is, do we... Really dissect scriptures or do we let scriptures dissect us? And do we let the Lord actually weed things out of our lives? And so I think for us, especially in our culture that is moving further and further away from Christian norms and understanding, how do we witness? How do we tell people that it's actually we we, we are called to take all in the totality of what God has given us in his word? And ultimately that will make us more enthusiastic, more joyful, more satisfied when we receive the totality of God rather than just picking and choosing the things that we like and pulling from another, a bunch of different places. And so the Lord calls us, says, you need to be my witnesses to those who have distorted the faith, to those who don't understand it, to those who have made their own faith. Rather than following the true way of the Lord. And then the final one is to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now, this might have actually been pretty surprising for the people to hear. Because for a period of time, those who had come to faith in Jesus believed that this movement was just inside of the Jewish faith. Now, they should have known better because the Old Testament is full of times. Where God says, I want you to be a light to the nations, or I will bless you in order to be a blessing. And so here, Jesus is saying, you are going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, to places where, and to people that have never heard the good news, to people who have all different kinds of backgrounds who come from all different kinds of various faith traditions, you are to witness to the true good news of Jesus Christ to them. And so one of the things I love about your church is your robust emphasis on mission. That part of the way that we reach the ends of the earth are by supporting individual missionaries, by doing short-term mission trips, By being able to invest in partners in different parts of the world who are bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. And at the same time, the ends of the earth are here now, too, aren't they? I mean, what is this amazing thing with with live streaming service that there could be people from other countries Watching in the midst of this time. People move here from all over to, to go to university, to work, and we live in this global society where the ends of the earth are actually now at our doorstep. And we are called to witness. We are called to share and to give the good news. I know that some of your interaction is with, uh, organizations and individuals who share the faith in Muslim contexts. And it's wonderful when someone who comes from a from the background of of Islam understands the father's love for us and begins to weep and cry because they never had that picture or understanding of who God is. And they embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And we have the privilege to be a part of those types of conversations with people who come from various backgrounds, various traditions. That Jesus would call us to witness to them. To let them know the good news of Jesus Christ, the only way to salvation. And so as we close today, I want us to pray. And I want to pray because my guess is going through this list of the people that God may have put in your life, that there is somebody or some group of people that fits that category. Somebody who's never heard of the good news of Jesus. Someone who has distorted the faith. Someone who would check Christianity on the box of a census survey, but has not given their lives over to Jesus. Or someone within this own body. Who needs to be reminded of the great love of Jesus. And that you would witness to them. Not by your own power, not by your own strength, not by your ingenuity, but through the power of the Holy Spirit working in you and through you. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we thank you for empowering us with your spirit. Lord, for the variety of ways that we have seen that over the past few weeks. That you, through your spirit, unite us to you, you convict us of sin, you mold us and you shape us to conform more and more to the image of Christ. And Lord, also through your spirit, that you help us to share this amazing good news of Jesus Christ, to be a witness for him. And so, Lord, I pray that all of us, just in this brief time of silence, would be reminded of the people that are in our lives for whom we need to share the good news. And so, Lord, give us boldness, not arrogance, but boldness and confidence in who you are, in your work for us on the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit, working in and through us and in the lives of those that we encounter to help them come to praise your name as well. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.